from the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome to the podcast. Happy almost Halloween. I know. We're almost there. So I'm close. Lindsay, I love <laughs> that, we're, that we've been celebrating this month together. I know. It's, you know. It's I, what we wait for. I love your love of, of the holidays. So much. I yeah. want to dress up in a different character yeah. every day of the month of Halloween. And so we're, <laughs> there, we're our second episode in to our October special that we do. Coming off a super scary Candy Candyman. And so we thought we'd go a little bit lighter. I also want to make mention that this is our 40th episode, which is very exciting to me. I didn't know what was going to happen when we started this 40, thing. 40, God. 40 episodes in. It's crazy to me. It's crazy. That right. legit just hit me. Yeah. Like 40 episodes. Yeah. Huh. Um, so our 40th the- episode, we're doing The Blob, the remake of The Blob, 1988's yeah. Chuck Russell's The Blob. This was a favorite of mine growing up. I loved it. This is one that was kind of like, it, I wouldn't say it was a favorite of mine growing up, but it was mm-hmm. like it was always there. I've grown to appreciate this much more since we've been researching it for the episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, the the just the word the blob is fun to say, in my opinion. <laughs> Blobbing? Yeah. Ready like, to blob it? You know, just more texting. So like, yeah, I'm just going to blob you some stuff. <laughs> just blobbing over here. Don't um, worry about me. I'm just it's blobbing. Been a, it's been a fun one to, to, to watch several times for this episode. I think this is a great one to watch during the October Halloween yeah. season. This is a good like group setting movie. It's it's nonstop entertainment and you know, not just kind of like frivolous, like dumb kind of humor. It's actually a really engaging yeah. movie and um, heavy on the visual effects, which we'll go into. And this is one, you know, it's like trying to pick movies for October. It's just like we, you know, again, I love your your term horror light for these movies <laughs> that aren't like yeah. full on horror. And I think this is like perfectly fits into like a good uh, fun filled. Yeah. Like it's got a little bit of scares. It's got some gore. Um, it's like, yeah, it's Fright Night. A, it, yeah, like it, it's it, a, the it, same vibe. Like you... You can watch it even if you don't like horror movies. Yeah, and uh, so a lot to talk about with this movie. Um, you know, we've got number one Chuck Russell coming off the the heat of Nightmare on Elm Street, the success of Nightmare on Elm Street three, which mm-hmm. uh, is my pick of the week, by the way. What? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I switched Dang. out. I switched out my pick of the week yeah. from what I told you. Okay, um, okay. So we'll talk a little bit about Chuck <laughs> Russell. Uh, this is a remake, so we're going to kind of talk about you know the differences here between the 50s uh blob versus you know the 80s and blob. the 70s blob that That's true. often gets yeah. overlooked a little yeah what else we got on the agenda? um well i'm sure we're going to talk about the effects uh, it's this is an effects heavy movie and strangely enough i mean for the late 80s the practical effects and i i know we talk about practical effects a lot sure. on this podcast but man this movie solidly like no question holds up it is it is still very effective and this movie had a like pretty for a horror film in the 80s i mean this movie had like a really big budget i mean considering the small budgets of horror films now Mm because i mean right now i feel like 
you know, we've said this before, we're kind of going through this like horror movie renaissance, uh, with bloom productions, like putting out, you know, a dozen horror movies a year. Um, but most of their budgets are like $5 million. And this was the blob had a budget of like 19 million. Yeah. And I think like yeah. a majority of that was dedicated to the practical effects. It had to have been. And, uh, and I can see why, cause it's the, I feel like the effects still hold up and they're still pretty <clears throat> mind boggling. Like, <laughs> you know, some, there's some pretty like freaky, I don't even want to say the word gross. It's like almost like disturbing, like just <laughs> seeing people trapped in this, like sort of like, they're sort of like half dissolving and like yeah. melting away. I think how great the special effects are, are one reason that this movie is a great group setting type of thing. Because there's so many times I'm watching this movie alone and I'm like, oh, damn, no. Like so many times. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. Yeah, so many moments where you're just like, oh man, like I can visualize the characters be like, I want to help this person, but just like, (laughs) I don't want any part of that on me. You know what I mean? No. I think it, it, this really like taps into that body horror you know yeah. like self-preservation and, fear and like the you know you can whether it's like Candyman or freddy or jason michael myers whatever these are all things that are like people or like you know dreams whatever but yeah. they're they are people this is this is a monster movie but a monster that doesn't have eyes mouth like yeah. it's not it's not anything other than a mass it's creepy stuff. Yeah. We'll get into that. Um, before we uh, get into our first clip from the blob and get into our discussion, um, can you kind of break down, uh, Lindsay, <laughs> what is, what's the story here? What's going on with this version, this 1988 version of, of the blob? Even if you haven't seen the 1958 or the 1972 versions of the blob, you have heard of the phrase, the blob, right? I, uh, it seems so common to me, even if you don't, you know, even if you don't like horror movies or what have you, you've heard of The Blob. So Chuck Russell's 1988 version completely obliterates this peaceful nature of a sleepy little California town when something foreign comes crashing to Earth. Is it a meteor? Is it maybe a homegrown biological weapon government conspiracy? Yeah, could be. What emerges is an ever-growing human melting and devouring unstoppable mass that looks like a giant pink purple tumor just kind of rolling down the street at a really fast pace and of course it's up to an unlikely teen duo to put an end to the blob's reign of terror in this town and we've got about a 31 person ish body count in this one friends so the blob ain't messing around and it gets bigger and bigger with each human little snack that it takes in. That's a big body count. And it is. I That's mean, a lot. even for a slasher movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, slasher yeah, movies don't, don't get up to yeah. that. No, it's like eight to eleven kills. And I, there is a lot of humor in in this version of the blob, but it's not like, ha ha, knee slap like type of jokey humor. Right. But but some of the kills that happen, like you can't help but laugh because it's it's kind of funny. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I uh, I failed to mention before, like I mentioned my pick of the week, but I didn't ask you oh, what yeah. was your pick of the week. So my pick of the week is Chuck Russell's first film, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. I'm excited for that. What's your pick of the week? I know you... <laughs> 
I went off the rails with this one yeah. a little bit. I've always really loved Candy Clark, who is the actress who um, is the uh, manager, owner, whatever, in the blob of the restaurant that okay. we've seen. Yeah. Um, I, I love when Candy Clark pops up into things. So I wanted to do a, a movie with her in it. And I found a Larry Cohen movie who Larry Cohen did the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not too long ago. We, yeah. That was my pick of the week. It was week, like yeah. episode 33. You did uh, the stuff as your pick of the week. So I went with Larry Cohen's 1982 movie, Q, The Winged Serpent. I had never seen it before. And you know, I like went into it like being like, I don't know what's going to happen with this. And then was like, damn okay okay i can hang with this (laughs) i'm very curious to hear your your pick of the week review because this is a movie i've only seen clips of in the king of cohen or i'm sorry i've only seen clips of this in king cohen the documentary Mm -hmm. that shutter had for larry and cohen and they they did quite a few clips of cues so i'm (laughs) i'm excited to kind of hear what you have to say and this is probably one i'm gonna have to check out after after this discussion it's on Tubi right now. Yeah. Um, I love I love the Tubi. God, we love the Tubi. We can find so much on that. Q is for sure a movie you can pick out multiple clips yeah. from it that are like, I'll, I mean, I'll get into it, yeah, but we'll man, it's, it. It, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, of course, always we'll round things out with our Murray moment, but uh, let's get into our first clip of The Blob. Then we'll get into talking about the blob. Yeah, let's do this. Blob it up. Blobbing it. Blobbing now. Here we go. Blob it. I need your help. For three years in school, you haven't said shit to me. Now all of a sudden, what? You need my help and we're best friends, right? Nobody believes me about what happened tonight. What did happen? You weren't there. You saw. All I saw was an old man with a funky hand. That's all I saw. Can I get you something, hon? No, thank you. The thing on that man's hand killed him, and then it killed Paul. And whatever it is, it's getting bigger. So you told the cops? Do you mind if I ask you a personal question? I know you're the homecoming queen type and all, but, uh, are you strung out or something or what? You're just the same. What are you talking about? You act like you're different. You put on this big show. But you're just like everybody else in this town. You're full of shit, Vlad! Hey, wait a second. The original Blob came out in 1958 so we're about 30 years outside of the original the 50s were a pretty huge time for the b-movie science Mm -hmm. fiction films um this remake has been i think considered by most people to be one of the better remakes that have come out especially remakes of movies that came out in the 50s a lot of people considered this in the same company of the fly and the john carpenter's the thing Mm -hmm. is being uh, amongst the best remakes that have happened of all time. So that's pretty good company, you yeah. know, for The Blob. Yeah. You know, they really didn't change too much for this being a remake. I mean, it certainly is updated for modern times, but uh, there's a lot of things that happen in this movie, the 1988 version that happened in the 50s version. One of the big things, though, is that even though they're teenagers, 
1988 <laughs> version. I think the big thing that we can say there's an improvement. The big thing that we can say there's an improvement on the original Blob. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original Blob had uh, uh, Steve McQueen. screen legend Steve McQueen. It was one of his first film roles. one of his first film, and he's playing a teenager. And Steve McQueen is a rugged <laughs> fellow. He was 27 yeah. playing a teenager, and, and he looks uh, about 40. If you Google image Steve McQueen in the Blob, it's... Uh, and just, you know, it's like this guy would have a hard time playing a 27-year-old, just playing his age in a movie, much less someone who's 18. For real, teenagers, basically the same setup and plot. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the 1988 version is more of like an homage to the, the 58 Steve McQueen vehicle. And if anything, like the 1958 one is kind of an unusually bold movie for the time and it was actually released i don't know if you know this but it was uh released by a um pretty well-known christian oh, it was like, like a christian group yeah yeah they were, they were like trying to yeah the, the, invest that's a, in the movie to make money yeah yeah and it wasn't necessarily to like you know put out any type of beliefs or anything but it was to like gain Money. It's very Ed Wood. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This original version was widely accepted as a metaphor for, you know, that old red commie scare, you know, that communist uh, Russians coming in, like like that sort of thing. And not necessarily... Maybe a little bit in in the eighties, but I feel like where the eighties took a turn, at least in this version of the blob, was that um, or in the nineteen eighty eight version of the blob, um, was that it wasn't so much something from the other the other region. It wasn't an alien being like what it yeah. was in nineteen fifty eight. It was a biological weapon, um, you know, by the U S. So, you know, there are some things that are fundamentally different, and that comes from directly, you know, uh, Chuck Russell and and Frank Darabont, their screenplay. And, of course, there's got to be a difference, but it is more or less an homage to the 1958 version. And I think that the 1958 version is completely worth viewing. It's a slow burn, especially compared to the one that we're talking about um, when that original Steve McQueen blob was made. And the effects don't hold up, but, you know, it was 60 years ago. Yeah, and 30 years outside of the 1980 remake, I, I, you know, I was, it was, very, I was very surprised to see how well this movie is held up effects-wise. Anytime I've seen Chuck Russell or heard Chuck Russell talk about his version of the blob, he still really stands behind it and is, you know, saying there's a rumored newer version of the blob that's going to come out in 2020. Let's see if that actually happens. And he, even he was saying, that's cool and everything. Remake it if you want. But I challenge you to make the effects look better because there are some things that happen in this one that if you don't do it practical effect wise, it's going to look fake and I think that there is something that becomes inherently just kind of less scary or less real when it comes to CGI and when you use practical effects I think that's one of the reasons that I love it so much is because it is really happening and when you have CGI sure you can you you can green screen it you can do whatever you want around it and 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 work with it as much as possible but there is some type of 
you know, layer, some veneer there that makes it look not real. I'm sorry, but I, I mean, yeah, and I, and I feel like a remake, a remake of this remake would definitely be in modern times would be like very CGI heavy. It, it there, there's no if way not, that it wouldn't be. Everything, you know, there's, yeah. there's no way that it w- it wouldn't be. And and this, you know, not only was this practical effects, but it, there was a lot of miniatures and puppetry. Yeah. And there, you know, there were some um, in camera effects. I'm a little foggy on how that's exactly done, other than like you shoot one thing. So you shoot, let's see, like a miniature of the blob, like moving on a ceiling, and then what you shoot over that image of people running away from it. Is yeah, that, like is that how in camera? Yeah. yeah, it's an optical so, but effect. One, one, yeah, one, uh, one technique, yeah, where they reverse the film and then shoot over. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. But for that particular, I think what, uh, I think a lot of what they did with this, if I'm not mistaken, or one technique in camera effect is like uh-huh. shooting through like uh shooting a scene and then kind of how they did with like the Star Wars movies where they uh it's like you're shooting like a painted thing over something like over a scene yes um I'm I'm pretty sure that that yeah. that, that is like what painted happened. glass yeah and I you know there there are parts where this happens I can think of like three instances that stick out in my mind where <laughs> where you're watching it and you're like okay yeah, that's not really happening, but it still has the illusion that it works, and it doesn't necessarily take you out of what's happening. Yeah, you know, in it, and I, I mean, I don't know. Um, man, it's kind of the same thing with like the original Ghostbusters and the 2016 Ghostbusters. Like, I love the practical effects, and I love the 2016, but sure. man, the 2016 effects. Yeah, I, I don't feel I mean, like I'm there. I, I think that you know, I think that there's no uh, surprise or, or or like or like hiding the fact that that we're a big fan of practical effects. I'm beating a dead digital. horse right now. But I? you know, okay. it's it, it, <laughs> you know, and, and we we could do a whole, whole podcast on on digital versus practical. But th- I think that this movie really shows. I think like at the end of it all, like this movie really shows how lovely and how like texturalized like practical effects could be and how that they can they 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 do they are worth the money you know they are worth the extra time it takes to use them there might be a fun little uh, tidbit in here since we're talking about effects and we should probably move on but little tiny tidbit what makes the blob the blob aside from I mean, there there are a lot of things in here besides from like silk sheets and like grimy, you know, colors and everything that was that were happening. The primary thickener that was was used was the thickening agent that was used in McDonald's milkshakes called methasone, which (laughs) Chuck Russell said kind of grossed him out. And he never, ever wanted to touch that substance ever again after that. I'm not a big fan of McDonald's milkshakes, but it'd be gross to, to know that that's what the blob yeah, yeah. was made out of. I mean, if anything, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I yeah. mean, yeah. if 
I would expect if the end of the world came and the blob was coming after me and somebody was like, you know what? That's actually a McDonald's milkshake. I'd be like, you know what? Okay. That yeah, kind of makes yeah. sense. Well, I think uh, another couple other things I think that separate the uh, original film from the remake. The remake really pushed the envelope on a few things. Uh, number one, it's not a slow burn. Things kind of just like jump no. into the action. It's it's kind of a yeah. nonstop you know, I, I would consider this almost like an adventure action horror sci-fi. Um, yeah. It really threw in a lot of other genres, uh, did a couple of things as well. Like, um, you know, we start off on this sort of main good looking all, all American kid character. Chuck Russell kind of does the Hitchcock thing that Hitchcock did with Psycho mm-hmm. where we sort of kill off our main uh, character, you know, the the rest of the movie falls on Shawnee Smith and, and the Kevin Dillon character. Yeah, and at this point, I'm fairly certain that Donovan Leitch, who plays like the the football star and who we kind of focus on in the in the beginning of the movie, you know, he was in Cutting Class and a, and and a bunch of other movies in the '80s, and he was, you know, he was a name that drew people. And you've got Shawnee Smith. And Kevin Dillon, who weren't necessarily names, yeah, and they they had been in some things, sure. But Donovan Leitch is it's like the whole scream thing. You kill off Drew Barrymore in the first fifteen minutes, and it's brilliant how how they basically do that. And and it's not just with the football star; it's with everyone that's yeah. kind of set up in the movie. This. If anything, this movie does a great job of setting the stage and making you care about everyone pretty yeah, much. Yeah, and they do even like the sheriff. Like he's not a character yeah. that you would normally think would like get it immediately, but they do but the I think that what the what is really smart about the script is that they allow these very uh short scenes like, you know, we establish that the sheriff wants to date the Candy Clark, the, who's Candy the Clark, who's restaurant working owner. at the restaurant owner, and you know, and then and then we don't really see him other than we know that he gets absorbed and killed by the blob. Brilliant part, and <laughs> I do think that there's something about this movie that like is kind of keeping you on your toes. It's kind of going against the grain of these sort of horror tropes that have happened. And uh, same thing, too, with, like, uh, the the killing of a kid in this movie. You know, it's something that sort yeah. of it is sort of shied away from the movies. You know, it's just like Completely. you try not to kill an animal. You try not to kill a kid. But mm-hmm. this movie uh, doesn't kill the dog in the beginning. <laughs> or, or the cat. Doesn't yeah. kill the dog or the cat, but <laughs> does kill the kid. Um, does pretty kill gruesomely. Pretty gruesomely, yeah. It's, it's actually pretty freaking terrifying scene yeah i think that the script of this movie is really smart you know and i think you have like you know we've got frank darbot who went on to create uh many stephen king adaptations mm-hmm. but best known as the writer director of shawshank redemption and you know and that's a movie i think that's like now considered like kind of your standard american classic like it's gonna go one down of the greatest time movies of all time of the best films yeah. ever made and and rightly so you yeah. know i mean it's a great movie Agreed. i've, I've Agreed. seen it a million times and uh, I think that, you know, you have Chuck Russell and Frank Darbot really focusing in on, like, what makes a movie work and, and how to 
um, not play on old tropes, try to keep an audience on his toes, and then also at the same time making us care about these characters. And because I think they're coming off of, they both worked on Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Yeah. And they're coming off of that kind of creativity. And you're going to talk about Elm Street 3, but it is one of the most creative of the entire series. And so you're coming off of that. I can't imagine the momentum that you that you would come off of of that film being a screenwriter or director um and and going into this and like the success of that movie made the blob possible yeah and and i think that too like you know and just these tiny little things and i love this with movies you know i love this sort of like insinuation things where it's like the blob is absorbing a character and then we immediately cut to a close-up of like a kid slurping like jello off of a plate you know there's these that's where the humor comes in of this movie yeah there's a lot of humor here there's like dark humor but to me it's like those hard cuts that they that you know clearly were in the script and same thing too with like you know we've got this sort of like date rapey thing that happens yeah the one question a lot of 80s movies yeah but but it's immediately you know the guy's like starting to unbutton the blouse of his like sort of passed out girlfriend and then the blob like grabs his hand he's reaching into her shirt and the blob grabs his hand and i think that's such a smart (laughs) thing to do because this is a movie you know every time we do a movie for the podcast that's from the 80s that i haven't seen in a while my first apprehension is is like okay what's gonna be offensive right what's gonna be offensive now like what's gonna be like uh all right you know like we need to like put a pin in this and like, you know, mention it on the episode. Totally. And this was a movie, this, uh, you know, that is one I hadn't seen in a while. And that put this particular scene where he's like reaching to a shirt. I was like, oh, you're like, this is is straight up date rape. And then like, and then like, boom, the blob gets him. And it's like, (laughs) I feel like intentionally in the script, you know, they were like, this is a trope that we're not, that we're going to slap away here. This was like a pretty progressive um, yeah. script for the 80s yeah I think with the two heroes of this movie are Kevin Dillon and Shawnee Smith and the cool thing about this movie is setting up the Kevin Dillon character as you know yeah the outsider you know like the kind of punk rocker with the leather jacket and everything as the movie wears on we realize that he's a little bit deeper and it doesn't take too much digging to realize that and in the beginning of the movie we see that sh- we assume that Shawnee Smith is the all-American cheerleader just looking for a boyfriend. But the longer that the movie goes on, she is com- is a complete badass. And, I mean, by the end, when we see her with the whole, like, M16 thing right. and, like, the bomb, I'm like, what? Okay, you're kind of, like, right up there with Linda Hamilton of T2, yeah. okay? And the the thing about breaking tropes, too, is that Yes, we don't have a final girl in the blob and we don't have the dude that's like the male hero. If anything, I feel like the blob is, I mean, if we're going to have teenagers, (laughs) if we're going to go with that trope of like teenagers saving a town, which is one of my favorite things of the 80s, I love that it is basically a badass cheerleader and like an outsider dude that are two unlikely people to come together but like they don't make out at the end there's no like embrace there's an embrace but it's like holy crap we like survived this yeah but um it's there is a moment like earlier in the movie where shawnee smith you know 
obviously sees that Kevin Dillon's a little bit deeper of a character or something like that, but it's not really played upon. Yeah. Their their relationship and that they are so differing um, is kind of what strengthens the plot and what, um, I mean, what saves, they both save each other at yeah. the end of the movie. And I think that that's really cool and didn't really happen a lot at the time in 1988. One and another thing I like that the movie does is that the the blob itself, the sort of like gooey substance that's that's taking over um, the town. Uh, there are these moments I think early on in the film too that I like that they're very intimate. You know, it's like we're only focusing on it, like kind of like creeping into like the drainage uh, uh, cover in. Oh, it's, you mean with like the reverend when the reverend sees him? Well, what I mean, what I mean just too is just like, you know, where no one sees it. It's just like we oh. see it kind of creeping into yeah. the drainage system. And I do like that there's these, it's like this isolated moment. There's no like other characters in it. It's just like we're just seeing the blob doing its thing. Blobbing. It's Be, just yeah, blobbing around town. It's just town. blobbing. But, but I do love that <laughs> we take a moment. We take this sort of intimate moment to see that yeah. it's thinking and it's it's like creeping and it's plotting. And it makes it a little more sinister Mm -hmm. than just seeing it interacting with these characters that's killing that, you know, we see like what it's doing on its own. It kind of gives us as the audience like a little more like voyeuristic view of the blob. Like, is it, it's a, it's like thinking and it's moving into its next move. And there's a, there's a couple, you know, they're very short scenes, but I think it's Mm -hmm. important. I think it was like a very smart move to like work that into the movie. And I've always revisited this movie because it is something that, that still holds up. But upon this last time around and really like diving into it, I started thinking like the crux of this is that this is the blob is a biological weapon that that the U.S. government is secretly testing. Yeah. It's like the is the twist in the plot. Yeah. But. What, what that made me start thinking as, you know, a 37-year-old was like, okay, so basically this thing is a single-celled organism that it comes upon something else and it absorbs it and it gets larger. So the idea of multiple single-celled organisms coming together to form a larger thing, it's not science fiction. It's actually something. Yeah. And then I started thinking, okay, so this is a monster movie but of all monster movies that I've watched, I'm actually rationalizing the blob into thinking that this could actually happen. Am I crazy in thinking? Well, that? no, I, think, I don't know. Well, and I think that you know, this was a time in the '80s where, like, we know we did, you you know, information was leaking, and we did start questioning, like, yeah, what, what is the government doing? This all antitrust of the government, and just like, you know, this doesn't seem too far from like reality. It is really cool how something like. The Blob, The Mass, which was one of the actual original titles of the 1958 version. The Mass. <laughs> the Mass or The Glob. Like Come the on. Glob. The Glob. What a terrible title. <laughs> but like just the idea of kind of the whole progression of The Blob is always been something political minus the 1972 one, which I don't know. Maybe I'll get to that one. Talking Beware with- of The Glob. <laughs> Beware of the blob, but beware, beware of, the, of the blob might have been. Um, I'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah, well, let's uh, <laughs> let's stop here. Um, we'll go to another clip from the blob. Uh, we'll come back. Uh, we'll talk about this cast that we were mentioning with Shawnee Smith, Kevin Dillon, 
and we'll quickly talk about uh, the sequel to the 58 version. We'll get there. We'll go to a clip. We'll come back. We'll talk about the cast, and we'll get into that. Okay. Here we go. Let's blob it. Blobbing it up. I said, put it down. I'll blow you out of your shoes, boy. Shoot him. Freeze, mister! All right, hold on. Everybody, just lower your weapons. Hold your position. Any closer. He's infected. Contagious. You spread and spread through this place and kill all of you. Listen to me, Briggs. Think for a minute. Do you suppose an army of guys in plastic suits show up every time a meteor falls? Shoot him. That's a direct order. How do you think they got here so quick? How did they even know when to come? Shoot, Batman, shoot. I'll tell you how. That meteor is man-made. It's some kind of a germ warfare test. They fucked up. Don't try it. So we're going to make this uh, second discussion a little short. we got to get into our picks of the week. Mm -hmm. Um, But real briefly on cast, uh, for starters, this uh, movie has a lot of, and I think smartly, has a lot of great little cameos. Like, you know, you mentioned Candy Clark. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Seneca's in this movie. Um, we've got uh, Del Close, who I'll talk about in our Murray moment. Yeah, and we've got, uh, of course, Jack Nance, who played Racerhead. Um, Crazy, in one of our right? previous episodes. Very tiny role in this, you know, as a doctor. Um, but I, but Nance I think just that's thrown in there. But I think that's the awesomeness of this movie. A very strong, like sort of bit character cast. Yeah, and it seems very intentional. Because it, oh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah because at this point like people like Candy Clark or Jack Nance like these people were already known for whether it was just for one thing you know whether it was just yeah. a racer head or you know like what have you and Del Close was uh, is uh, like I said I'll talk about him later but um he he was someone that was very well known in the area of of improv and. Chuck Russell just happened to see him in a movie on his on his flight and yeah. was like, "Yeah, I need to audition that guy." That's... It's so funny because like you don't you don't you don't think that the that the sheriff um who's Jeffrey Demon who was in The Walking Dead, which was another Frank Darabont thing, but um you don't expect the sheriff of the town to get offed and that a-hole deputy to make it to almost the end of the movie. What was his name? Paul McCrane? Redheaded guy? You might know him more as the uh, guy who was uh, melted with chemicals and then uh, hit with a minivan by Clarence Bodiger in uh, RoboCop. Yes, that's exactly how I think of him. That's the only way I can think of him. Or that guy that shouldn't have survived until almost the end of the blob. But the but main cast... The main cast here, you know, we've got Shawnee Smith, who you'll talk about, but we've got Kevin Dillon, brother of Matt Dillon. His brother, Kevin Dillon, not not as well-known. Um, this is one of his first uh, big movies. You know, he was in a couple smaller 
weird little movies like Remote Control, which is a mm -hmm. funky little movie uh, worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Um, he was in The Doors, and he went on to be Johnny Drama in the long-running uh, hit series Entourage. But this one, he kind of plays like the main star. They they don't they don't paint his character very kindly in this, you know, with the hair and with the mullet. Yeah, the mullet. Chuck and, Russell and says that Kevin the, Dillon's never forgiven him for that you one. You know, like the mullet <laughs> and the jacket is a little much, and like you know, I mean, he he just kind of has a goofiness, but. It's it's sort of a, this like sort of like naive goofiness that you kind of appreciate. He doesn't bother me really that much. He doesn't. He's no. like he's not really a hard no. ass, you know what I mean? But he like he gets the job done. He's pretty wimpy. Yeah. He might have a motorcycle and a leather jacket and yeah. be like kind of punk rock, but like but, he's lame. But that's what I love about <laughs> it is like he doesn't quite fit. You know, he yeah. doesn't. He doesn't quite. And I don't know if that was an intentional thing where he like. I hope it was. You know what I mean? It was just like. I'm all, you know, I'm supposed to be this character, but I'm going to be, yeah, like this like wimpy version of it. You Sorry, know? I snorted, just like, but yeah. Um, and, 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 and if that was intentional, that was what he was going for. It's just like, man, job well done, like excellent. Casting choice. To, yeah, excellent way to play it. But I do appreciate sort of this sort of like failed attempt at being like the hero, like the sort of hard edged like punk, you know, it's just like. Uh, it doesn't quite work, but it's just like to me, it's endearing. It's like it's yeah. very charming. He he is it 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 is endearing in some ways, but I th I feel like and in, in the way that he fails being the hard ass is where is where the cheerleader Shawnee Smith picks up because yeah. she, she becomes the hard ass in the movie. So Lindsay, <laughs> I know you've been sort of like chomping at the bit to talk about Shawnee Smith. Oh my god! Unleash it, Lindsay. <laughs> Unleash your love of Shawnee Smith. I will say for sure, like one of my favorite ladies from the '80s, and I, she's not just from the '80s. Like she has a career in the '90s and contemporary, like to today. Um, I think most people probably know her from the Saw series, which is great and fine. And I love Shawnee Smith. I love what she's done now. But um, for me, growing up um, in the 80s, Shawnee Smith kind of was, it, 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 it's kind of, it's kind of um, difficult. Get, get real, Lindsay. Let it out. <laughs> I'm going to get real out. right get now. Get real. Get real. Okay. 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 We, this is episode 40. Get real. I know. It's time to like get serious. Two things. One, I was a kid that saw Shawnee Smith, who was probably, I don't know, if I was like, you know, six, seven, eight, she was probably 10 years older than, I think she was 19 in the blob. So she's like 10 years older than me. And she was like either one, the babysitter that I wanted to have and wanted to be, or she was like one of the first people I was attracted to in movies and didn't really know how to like explain that maybe. And I'm like, okay, so basically I was the little girl in monster squad that right. But I wanted to be Shawnee Smith. And I know this is like a little too personal, isn't it? But I don't care. Whatever. This is good. No, this is good. <laughs> And I think one of the coolest things about about her as an actress and like at least in the movies that I saw of her like growing up was that, you know, whether it was summer school or or um, who's Harry Crumb, like she was an everyday girl who I feel like every girl with brown hair and brown eyes, which was me, 
could identify with. And it definitely helped that she, she is completely adorable and still is today. But I, I don't think that that was something that had an original influence over me, like why I love the blob. Okay. But I think that it made me have a... It made me, in the same way that it did Monster Squad, like how I identified with that movie, I think I identified with the blob in in some ways because it was like, oh my God, that's like the girl that I want to be. Or is it the girl that I'm attracted to and I don't know how to explain that. I don't really know. Right. But <laughs> either way, um, Shawnee Smith was certainly formative for for me growing up as a youngster. <laughs> Man, I just uh, went down therapy lane, didn't That's I? That's all right. No, no. I mean, I think <laughs> and it's... the girl, the woman is a is a great actor too. And yeah. now that I have a platform to talk about this, <clears throat> let it out, Lindsay. You don't know. I'm, maybe you don't know about this, but um, there is something that I have always called um, the Shawnee Smith School of Acting, and it was round about the time of when. Party of Five happened, Scream happened, and other um, actors in that attended the school of the Shawnee Smith School of Acting were Nev Campbell, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and anyone else who you can see the trajectory of where I'm going here. There were extreme reactions, very intense eye movements, and pretty much you're probably brown hair, brown eyes. And maybe just being someone yeah. with those same features, you notice these things. But I I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. But I do feel like there is something that was happening in like the early 90s, early mm-hmm. to mid 90s. Yeah. That like I, I, I feel you stemmed off of Shawnee Smith. I can't believe I haven't ever talked about that school of acting, but it, yeah. it, it it's it's I, kind I'm of glad to hear it. I, I love that we're opening up more on on these on this podcast. I, I have very few things in my armory, and one is the Shawnee Smith School of Acting. Yeah. The other is the uh, Michael Douglas Quadrology. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I've gotten to talk about both of victim them. Trilogy. Victim trilogy. Victim victim quadrology, really. I feel like I learned something a little more about you each week. Uh, Justin, I guess yeah. you're going to have to start opening up a little bit more because evidently I'm just like a yeah. emotional vomit machine over here. Unfortunately, I'm so. a steel trap of emotions. So. <laughs> I'm a glass case of emotion over um, here. So let's move on from to our picks the, cast. Of the week. Let's move on to our picks of the week. Uh, we'll it's come back for some final thoughts. Final thoughts. The yeah. We got it. Uh, for our picks of the week, I went with Chuck Russell's film, first film that he did prior to The Blob, which was uh, the third uh, film in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and that was f- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Yes. Uh, Green Warriors. Your pick was the... Cue the wing serpent. Yeah. I feel like I've been talking a lot, though. Well, I'll start off. I'll kick it off. You kick it off. Nightmare 3, okay. I feel like I've been talking a lot about Shawnee Smith. I really want to hear about Nightmare 3, All though, right, right now. Let me tell you about Nightmare 3. They convinced Wes Craven to come back. He kind of didn't really want to have anything to do with the Freddy franchising, but the first film was such runaway success, naturally, with horror films in the 80s. He wanted to sequelize them, create a franchise best way to make money 
uh, New Line kind of ran with that. So they got Wes Craven back to work on the story and co-opted the script for Nightmare 3, but they brought in Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell. Uh, Chuck Russell originally pitched The Blob to Robert Shea, the head of New Line Cinema, and New Line Cinema was all about like getting fresh blood to direct the Freddy franchise. So he said, you know, we'll worry about the blob later. We want you and Frank Darabot in the driver's seat for Freddy 3. So Chuck Russell, Frank Darabot co-wrote the idea. They kind of worked off of uh, Wes Craven's original script for Nightmare 3 and Chuck Russell ended up directing. Chuck Russell and Frank Darabot were the reason why Freddy kind of went in a more humor-driven direction. But I think this is one of the more mansioned of Freddy's. Uh, this movie takes place mostly in a, a mental health facility. Nancy is brought back for the third film. She's working there, and she's sort of teaching these kids how to control their dreams because they're all their dreams are starting to get uh, interrupted by thoughts of Freddy Krueger. Uh, she comes to let them know that they're the, the final kids from the offspring of their parents who condemned and killed Freddy Krueger when he was a human figure. And so he's trying to wipe out the rest of the Elm Street kids. And so uh, the movie gets really fun because Nancy sort of tells them how to control their dreams. You know, she lets them know how she defeated Freddy and how you can't let him show you fear. And so there's a lot of fun sequences where Freddy's trying to prey on their fears and the name Dream Warriors uh, really comes into play here. Um, this movie was also pretty significant because you had uh, early roles by sort of these household names now, like Lawrence Fishburne, who was one of the head orderlies at the uh, mental health facility and uh, Patricia Arquette who plays one of the main kids one of the main Elm Street kids and Freddy does come off more humorous in this movie but I do think that there's some pretty like uh, pretty good scares in this there's some very inventive kills uh, I think uh, one of the you know there's the there's the main theme song Dream Warriors by the band Dawkins and also, I think it was one of the first bands to kind of do this crossover with movies where they did a music video that involved actually Robert England in the Freddy suit and involved the band in the music video kind of like working into the sort of universe of Nightmare on Elm Street, which was a lot of fun. Another thing I like about this movie, too, is it, uh, it really does um, utilize this idea of like going into dreams and, uh, preying upon people's fears and the dream sequences, this, the dream sequences in this are really creative and the kills are really creative. And I think that really it was like an improvement on not only Freddy's revenge at Elm street too, but the original at Elm street. Uh, this is one of my favorite of the series. I love the fact they brought back Nancy. They bring back Nancy's dad. There is a, uh, you know, the I would say the only thing of this movie that kind of lags for me is there's this sort of like the the nun character who's like um, slowly revealing information and then disappearing. When you watch it now, it's a little frustrating. It's just like uh, 
just give them the information. Why do you keep disappearing right before you finish your thoughts? You know, it's just like, if this is really important to you, then like stick around. Why do you keep vanishing before you like reveal all this information other than the fact that it's like, you know, supposed to be this like secretive thing. Um, that's a little frustrating now when you watch it, but, um, for the most part, uh, this is a really, you know, creative and fun venture. Um, I think too, you start to see, uh, Chuck Russell's, uh, voice come through and like using like black humor in horror movies. And I think, uh, you know, I think the reason why the blob is such a confidently directed film is because Chuck Russell was able to cut his teeth on this Freddy three movie. And I think that it's, you know, the blob is a better movie for it. If you're not a fan of the Freddy franchise, this movie is probably not going to win you over. But um, for me personally, if I'm going into the Freddy franchise, this will be, this would be even including the original nightmare would be the first one that I would be inclined to watch if I was going to revisit any of these movies. You know, out of all of them, if if you don't like the original Nightmare on Elm Street, I, I, I mean, challenge me if I'm wrong here, but the original Nightmare 3, Dream Warriors, and New Nightmare, I feel like if if you don't like one or any of those, then you don't like the franchise because yeah. those, those yeah. are like the three most solid of them. Yeah. And man dream warriors i don't know how many people i know my my friend brett um he yeah this is like one of his favorite movies like there there it's so inventive yeah there's just so much going on and in it and and i think it's referenced pretty frequently as far as like being as one of the most imaginative and with chuck russell doing this you know nightmare on elm street which already existed before him and the blob that already existed before him i think that these are two really impressive um, you know, things like like things that already existed yeah. and then he made them his own, which is he, so cool. He was he was like the right guy to like improve yeah. upon yeah. things. It's improve just like, upon. Let yeah. me let me take something that exists and let me <laughs> shake it up a little bit. You yeah. Know, make it my own. Yeah. And I, and I think I think he does an admirable job of both films. Yeah, totally. Well, let's hear a little bit about uh, your pick of the week, which is Q, the Winged Serpent. Both of these movies <laughs> yeah. for our pick of the week have these sort of like weird <laughs> subtitles, like sub, what do you call them? The Winged uh, Serpent and Dream Warriors. Yeah. Um, so as, as I said, I, I went into this already wanting to pick a movie that had Candy Clark in it. It's She's just always been in movies and random TV shows, so like... She shows up in an episode of Matlock or Criminal Minds, and you're like, "What's up, Candy Clark?" She's just got some Doris Dayness about her, except with a like a edgier quirkiness that Doris was never allowed to show. I just love Candy Clark. So when I stumbled across Larry Cohen's 1982 monster movie *Q: The Winged Serpent*, well, with a name like that and co-starring Candy Clark, I had to see what this movie was all about. And for a low-budget film with virtually no special effects other than claymation, like, this is a monster movie from the 80s that is completely worth revisiting. It's a classic setup of a monster invading a large population, in this case, New York City, of course. Sweeping shots of the city, and for the first half of the film, we 
only get quick flashes of the monster cue. Typical. It's like the golden rule was like you wait to show your monster. You build that suspense. So Q stars Michael Moriarty, the lead actor from Justin's Pick of the Week back in episode 33, Larry Cohen's The Stuff. And he really, really disappears into his role as this small-time criminal ex-junkie. He's nothing short of impressive. Like, probably people would say this is a method acting experience. And next up is Kung Fu Master David Carradine, who is so smooth and a shoe-in for the role as the disbelieving cop. And Candy Clark who doesn't have much to do with the monster cue itself, but she is nevertheless commanding as Moriarty's girlfriend who's tired of putting up with her mess of an abusive boyfriend. And rounding off the cast is Shaft himself, Richard Roundtree, who kind of rules at anything he's ever in. His toughness is like never anything to mess around with, and the same goes for this movie. The Empire State Building got King Kong... So Larry Cohen took the Aztec legend of the flying serpent deity named Quetzalcoatl and made it into a giant man-eating bird serpent terrorizing New York, brought back into existence by human sacrifices at the Museum of Natural History. And like that part of the plot is like a little wonky in the movie, but those willing sacrifice scenes are easily the most squirm-worthy moments in the movie. It's um, It was kind of like stomach-churning, actually. Like The effects were awesome in that part, but it, 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 it made me a little eh, unnerved. The plot thickens when Moriarty bumbles a robbery and loses the stolen loot that he takes. Freaking out, he tries to hide at the most furthest place that he can get to, and naturally, somehow, he finds his way to the top of the Chrysler building in New York. And it's there where he discovers the, you know, this like serpent bird, Q's giant nest, a massive egg, and a bunch of dead bodies, and one humorously still adorned with a little nice anklet. (laughs) Makes in the cops trying to track down the murderer who's filleting people for these like Q sacrifices. All the reports about this giant like bird snake body that's raining down body parts and blood all across the city and a guy who's trying to make a quick buck off the state for finding Q's lair well yeah there's Q boiled down that's the whole movie the aerial shots of New York do not disappoint for a movie about a flying monster not only does it serve as Q's POV but also Like these downward shots of New York make us feel just how massive this prehistoric Goliath must be and how everyone below is like just food. The film itself took only three weeks to complete, but the effects were taking kind of longer than planned. Like the entire film was basically done and then the monster was just added in afterwards. But the problem with that was that the effects guys creating Q, Randy Cook and David Allen, weren't aware that Larry Cohen had already cut the film together with the idea of knowing where the monster would fit into the frames. That's not exactly how effects guys roll, but there really wasn't an alternative, so they just kind of had to make do. And the end result is what we see on screen. 
Some parts are exceptionally better than others. For instance, like the film's final aerial battle sequence with Q, lesser quality shots are kind of like slipped in between ones that work really well as if to hide anything that's, you know, not as good as, you know, other shots that are better. Even Candy Clark has said like, yes, some effects look dated in this movie, but it's unfair to compare them to movies of today. It's just completely different. Claymation isn't done in the same way today, if at all, in, you know, in film. But for the time period, it totally worked. And when you watch this movie, realize that the shots and the top of the steeple of the Chrysler building, all of that was completely real. The actors, crew, everyone was crammed up there for the battle scenes. It was completely unsafe and probably wouldn't happen today, but those scenes in the steeple of the Chrysler building, man, it's pretty fun to watch. Q, I think, stands out for a cult classic by today's standards. I I don't think that I'm alone in that, like no question. It's a monster movie with a decent plot and really still packs the action, horror, and a little bit of that uh, Larry Cohen trademark humor. Yeah, this is one that I really want to check out. I've, like I said, I've only <laughs> seen clips of it, but it looks pretty interesting. Those are our picks: uh, Q, The Winged Serpent, Nightmare on Elm Street Three, Dream Warriors. <laughs> uh, those are our two movies. Um, Man, I can't say enough good things about about uh, Nightmare Three. Yeah. Let's keep on keeping on. Here's your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're going to come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Hey, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes embrace all striking. That was fun. So you know the reverend in the blob who captures that little bit of blob bit and at the end of the movie and, and thinks that the rapture is coming and starts an end-of-the-world cult that we see like right as the uh, closing credits come up? Well, in real life, that actor is Dull Close, the most famous comedian that you've never heard of, unless, of course, you're a theater or Saturday Night Live nerd, and he shaped the improv skills of a never-ending list of massively famous comedians of today, including our baby Billy back in the 1970s, along with uh, Murray Brothers Joel and Brian. Well, he was a guy who had a great knowledge of the craft of improvisation, Billy said of his old teacher, Dell, back at Second City. He lived life in a very rich manner to excess at sometimes. He had a whole lot of brain stuck inside his skull. Beyond being gifted, he really engaged in life. He made more of himself than he was ever given. He came out of Manhattan, Kansas, and ended up hanging out with the Beats. 
He was incredibly gracious to your talent and always tried to further it. He got people to perform beyond their expectations and really believed that anyone could do it if they just were present and showed respect. There was a whole lot of respect. And although Del Close taught too many great comedians to count, it was Billy's love for Del that was so widely known. And there's a great story that Harold Ramis has told kind of like quite a few times about how both Billy and Del are very alike. Something along the lines of, quote, like, Jim Belushi went up to Del once when he was like just a young actor and said, Del, I want you to know that I really, really trust you. And with that, Del kneed him straight in the balls really hard and said, you still trust me now? And Ramus said of this experience that Billy was just like that. Billy was always teaching people lessons just like that. If he perceived someone as being too self-important or corrupt in like any way, he just couldn't stomach. He felt it was his job to straighten them out. Around 2006, Ramus said that he had been toying with the idea of a biopic based on Dell. And he said that Billy was kind of the only person he could think of playing him. And unfortunately, the project kind of burned out at the time. And besides, Billy and Harold really were in their non-speaking to each other at the, at the time. He taught lots and lots of people very effectively, Billy said of Dell. He taught people to commit, like... Don't walk out there with your hand in your pocket unless there's something in there that you're going to bring out. You got to commit. You got to go out there and improvise and you got to be ready to completely be unafraid to die. You got to be able to take a chance to die. You have to die a lot and you're going to die all the time. You're going to go out there with just a whisper of an idea and the fear itself is just going to make you clench up and that's the fear of dying. And when you start and the first few lines don't grab and people are like, what's this? I'm not laughing. I'm not interested. What is this? You're just going to put your arms out and you're going to be like, "Ah, I'm just going to come out with it right now. Otherwise, it's just going to stay all stuck inside of you. You got to get it out there. And this is just a little snippet of what Billy learned from Dell. You just got to project it. Get it out there. Someone that's had such an important impact on your life, especially one who's helped mine out the brilliant particularities of every comedian he's taught, well, that's not someone you easily forget. And in March of 1989, just a few days shy of his 65th birthday, Dell was actually reaching the end of his life, like basically counting the hours until his last breath. He was hospitalized with emphysema, and Charna Halpern, Dell's partner at Improv Olympic in Chicago, had been at his bedside. They have ear to his rambling thoughts of an oxygen-deprived brain. Halpern understood Dell was not going to make it to his actual birth date, so the birthday party she'd been thinking of needed to happen stat. In order to make that happen post-haste, Halpern called Billy first, who said he was going to pick up the tab and go all out, even hiring a prominent sax player from the Green Mill, a well-known Chicago jazz club with, like, only the best players. Billy knew what this party was. 
a final goodbye for everyone Dell had ever known. Word got out, and soon every comedian who could make the trek in some way came to say their goodbye to Dell. And it would be only a few hours after the party that Dell would actually pass away. And it also might be crazy for anyone unfamiliar with Dell's life and work to learn this about him when all you can think about him is like the Reverend from the Blob or as Sloane Peterson's boring teacher in Ferris Bueller. But Dell Close taught a moral code of acting on stage, including what I know I've talked about many times before, something that Billy and every Second City player have always hung on to, and that's making the other actors around you look good, which in turn is going to make you look good. So the next time that you're watching The Blob after this podcast, remember that that sketchy man of God in there in real life, man, that guy's name is Del Close. He was one of the most beloved instructors who influenced the most popular contemporary comedians of today, including our good friend Billy Murray. Man, that's really interesting. I didn't know any of that. And uh, and just from <laughs> his role in this, I wouldn't have thought him no. to be a comedian because he kind of plays this role pretty There's straight. Nothing funny about him yeah. in this. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you for enlightening us on Del Close. I mean... How could you not with the blob? Well, that's your Murray moment. Thank you for that, Lindsay. Duh. Did you have any final thoughts on the blob? I know one of our final thoughts was that this has kind of a pretty hip soundtrack. Very synthed out 80s, which is really big now with Stranger Things and such. But uh, at the time, it was a fairly common thing to do with a horror film score that didn't have the biggest budget to do like a full orchestrated deal. But I don't know. It's kind of a hip score. I like it. My final thought is that there was a technically a sequel to 1958, The Blob with Steve McQueen. And it was 1972, Beware the Blob. Um, and uh, I've made it about 20 minutes in that deal. Oh, you tried it. You I did tried. it. I tried it. was on YouTube. How'd you like that um, uh, three-minute opening sequence on a, a, on a kitten? How'd you it, like it that? It was a very disjointed... <laughs> it was like... It was like they like ordered somebody to go out and shoot some like stock footage, and they were just like, uh, okay, so this will be the opening of the film. Like, I can't... Like, I... So the thing I can't unusual. I can't hate on Beware the Blob or Son of the Blob. This is my number one on on this podcast. You ever hear me talk about a movie and I call it more than one title? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either one of us, we call it more than one title. Yeah. You know that it's not a good sign for that movie. My my pick of the week back in episode thirty four, which was Chicago Cab, that was called Hell Cab. It's never a good sign when a movie has multiple titles. Never, never, never. No. Um, and what that usually has no bearing, or sometimes it does, but on the quality of the movie, or sometimes has to do with the production, whatever it has to do with, it's not a good sign. Son One. of the Blob, Beware of the Blob, yep. 1972's Blob remake was not amazing, but it did 
have like a three-minute part with Del Close that yeah. I talked about in the Murray moment. And a tiny bit of trivia with the with the 1972 or the blob. Give it. Uh, directed by Larry Hagman, who... J.R. from Dallas? A lot of people may know as J.R. from Dallas. What? Yeah, kind of crazy. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Wasn't there a tagline there for was, this? There was. Yeah, that's after, right. Uh, after Dallas kind of blew up and it became known... And there was JR like the was who shot. shot. Well, they were like JR was shot, and they were like who shot, who shot JR? JR. Uh, after that whole phenomenon, sort of pop culture phenomenon of who shot JR, the 1972 blob started begin to being referred to as the movie that JR shot. Oh my god. How crafty. Ridiculous. How crafty. Ridiculous. What a way to market a movie. Okay. <laughs> but well, there was, so technically, 1988's Chuck Russell, The Blob, yeah. was technically the third yes. installment of The Blob. That's correct. So, so that's it for The Blob. So we have one more episode left for our October <gasps> extravaganza. Ooh. And this is a very special episode. This is one that we've been sort of priming for. We've been preparing for. A lot of work is going into this next episode. We are doing, we are trying to tackle the best that we can. Yeah. 80s versus 90s slasher movies. Can it be done? We'll see. I don't know. We're going to try to make this happen. We're going to get there. We're going to try to combine 80s and 90s slashers all into hopefully... Uh, a two-hour episode tops as best as we can, yeah. and like with as much information packed yeah. in as possible. So you're yeah. not going to be scared, yeah. But we're going to inform right. all of you. We've got our work cut out for us, but we're going to try to make it happen. So next episode, our final episode to round out October, it's going to be a Halloween special. Uh, can't wait for that one. Um, if you want to follow us on the social media platforms, you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, Don't Push Pause Podcast. You can also go directly to our website if you want to check out old episodes, uh, don'tpushpausepodcast.com. I will say we are the most active on Instagrams. We post a lot of fun stuff. You've probably seen our promo photos that we've been putting up recently. We try to keep up with um, the videos yeah. too. Yeah, we try. We try to do what we can. We try to do what we can. Episodes, so, that sort of thing. Yep. So we look forward to next episode. Uh, stick with us through October. Again, it's our favorite month. This is the most fun we have uh, talking about these movies for the month of October. But until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Raber. Thank you so much for listening. Happy almost Halloween.